Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 10.22 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. Uh, he is back tomorrow. But on the panel with me today is Graham Beasley from sportsfreak.co.nz. G'day, Graham. How are you? Morning, Ricardo. I'm well. Good stuff, mate. And Ruben Bradley, the big boss man. We've uh, we've dusted you off and brought you into the studio. How are you feeling, mate? <laughs> There's a lot of dust, I tell you that. Uh, morning, Rick Dog. Morning, Graham. How are you both? All right. Yeah, good, mate. Good, good. We should talk New Zealand rugby. It seems every time we talk New Zealand rugby at the moment, we're finding fault in what they do. But uh, it's, this isn't just us. This is the government now found fault in what they've done as well. Uh, there was a uh, Sport New Zealand funding target for reaching gender diversity targets. 65 sporting organisations were tasked with doing this. The only one to miss it is New Zealand rugby, um, and they're going to be penalised $280,000 as a result. Uh, Ruben, they're just down the hallway uh, from us here (laughs) at New Zealand rugby. Um, I was under the... When this came out, I I was surprised because I do remember them adding Mm -hmm. more women to the board. Uh, Were you as surprised as I was when you saw this story come out? (laughs) Yeah, and this is a shocker. This is simple maths. This is like putting 16 players on the field by mistake. You mm. just shouldn't make these mistakes. It's, you know, this is really easy basics to get correct. Uh, you've known for a long time. Everyone else managed to do it. You just shouldn't make these mistakes. This was an easy one to tick off, to try and get, you know, if there were quotas or targets around participation numbers, those are sort of things that are out of your control. This is in your control. Just do this one. Yeah, just do it. It's, it's, it this is part of your job. As a man who lives in Wellington and, and is used to dealing with bureaucrats, Graham, uh, d- how much did it surprise you? It surprised me a lot. I mean, as Ruben said, how hard is it? You know, count, 40%. You know, that's, that's just simple maths, really. And, um, you know, to have three female board members on a board of nine, um, I would have thought there's a pretty easy way to get to 40%. You just add another female board member. I mean, it's it's just, just it's extraordinary. And um, and as, as we've been saying, they've, they've had plenty of time to sort this out. They have to add one... You do wonder, though... I actually think the bigger problem might be in the next level down. I mean, how many female CEOs are there of NPC teams, you know, provinces or super rugby teams? So um, I think part of the reason that the government has put this rule in place is to um, is to improve things from um, from the ground up. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, and and there are. Uh, some in place. In fact, I think uh, Cherry Blyde is now the the chair of uh, Taranaki Rugby, isn't she? There, there, that is starting to happen at grassroots level. Um, and and I mean, it's not like the people that they've brought in currently, like Dr. Farah Palmer and things, have been doing those jobs. They've brought them in from outside of those jobs. You've got to take a punt. You've got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I'm in a role here where we we, we want to grow female broadcasters in, in sport as well. And uh, we've got some wonderful women who are doing a great job on our airwaves and, and a lot of the other networks uh, are as well. But you've got to start somewhere mm-hmm. um, and acknowledge that's still sort of a challenge for us. Uh, but you've got to 
just get them and put them in the role and, and work with them and, and you know and, and they they will grow and you know there's an enthusiasm there for, for that from the listeners and from organisations such as ours. Yeah, I, I would think it's got to do it. Yeah, Graham, I mean, given you've got a board of nine, there's probably enough rugby knowledge there. Do you need somebody that has rugby knowledge, or do you just need somebody that's got business experience, that type of thing, governance experience? I think kind kind of either. I mean. I think you want on that board a balance, really, of people who have got their rugby experience, the feel for the game, um, and the feel for the sport in general, not just uh, playing the game. Um, But I think you also need people with governance experience. Mm, Yeah, indeed. All right. We also have the news come out uh, today that Casper Ruud, who uh, just played in the US Open final, is now the world number two, is going to be here for the ASB Classic. Graham, I know uh, you're in Wellington, not in Auckland, but uh, given we've had no ASB Classic for, what, the last uh, two or three seasons due to COVID, how big is this, uh, do you think? Um, I think it's really big, actually. Um, you know, and this is the now the post-Carl Budge era, if you like, um, for this um, for this tournament. And I think people were a bit concerned that it might lose some of its um, some of its signing power and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he was he, he was known as um, um, as someone who who could land the big fish, the Serena um, Whisperer, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the smoocher. Yeah. Um, so so it's good. I, I, I think it's a really good signing. Um, and men's tennis, it just sort of seems as if the, the baton's being passed on to the new generation now, doesn't it? You know, with that final yesterday, and we had the situation where whoever won it would go to number one in the world. Um, and so we're just sort of moving away from the Federer, Nadal, Djokovic era. Yeah. And, um, and so to get him over here as a big name, as the world number two, is fantastic. Yeah, Graham, I was just thinking exactly the same thing. It kind of felt like, I suppose, a little bit of uh, pandemic uh, lag as well, uh, but also the decline of the big three that tennis had been in somewhat of a no-man's land uh, for a couple of years there. And and, and to see um, Carlos Alcaraz in particular obviously come through, but also Casper Ruud, these new names, is like, ah, the exciting new frontier is upon us. And also, um, along with Erling Haaland, wonderful to see Norway with a few <laughs> superstars of the world of sport that aren't cross-country skiers. <laughs> yeah, well put, mate. Well put. Yeah, indeed. And Norway uh, is certainly ripping it. And the other thing, too, now with men's tennis, you know, it used to be you go into a, a major tournament and you went, you could just pick through to the final. It was going to be Djokovic and Federer or Djokovic and Nadal. We've seen less of that now, but it feels like maybe a generation has been skipped because there's guys like Medvedev and Tsitsipas that haven't quite done what you know, the Alcarazes and the Rudes are doing. Do you think they'll come back now, Graham? those guys? Well, it's interesting you say that that, that generation has been skipped because it does kind of feel like that, doesn't it? I mean, uh, Alcaraz having, having won a Grand Slam and is still a teenager, I mean, you just wonder how many Grand Slams he's, he's going to rack up over his career. Mm. Um, yeah, he, he, he does seem to be an extraordinary talent. So, um, um, yes, but I, I guess always in the background there's Nick Kyrgios, isn't there? You know, is he is he going to make it? Is he going to make it over the line? Oh, you, you you always hope so. You always hope so. I mean, it, I do wonder, Ruben, whether or not some of those guys, Medvedev, Sitsipas, that that level of guy, Rublev, they have the black caps mental block 
in Australia when it comes to you know, I can't win that's Grand harsh. Slams. That's harsh, Ricardo. I, I Come can't on. win Grand Slams because of Djokovic or Nadal or Federer. But that realization, you know, for me, for some of those younger players, isn't there. Well, I think if if it did skip a generation, I, I think it's just testament to how incredible and what an era of tennis that we just witnessed. However, I would point out mm. uh, when Djokovic plays tournaments, if and when he's allowed, he's not past it. Actually, I, I said decline, and I as I was, I thought about that line earlier. I felt a slightly controversial line. Djokovic is only on the decline because he's been banned from a handful of tournaments. When he plays, he's still very much right up there, I believe. Yeah, all right. I'll be interested to see how things go at the end of year, depending mm. on whether or not you can get into that country. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other conversation. It's up past 10 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. This is the panel. We'll be back with more after the latest in news and sport with Araha Hathaway. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Twenty-eight away from eleven here on SENZ with uh, Ricardo Ball and for Ian Smith. This is the panel. Uh, Graham Beasley from SportsFreak.co.nz and Ruben Bradley with me. And the Rugby League World Cup is, of course, not that far away. I think four weeks away now. Uh, but Jared Wairua Hargreaves suspension will it affect the Kiwis? He's probably going to miss if he if he gets selected. He'll miss the first three group games of the World Cup. Ruben. Mm. Um, can we, why can't we do a Peter Valandis and tell him he can he can he, he can he can serve it next season? Yeah, uh, look, I think um, I guess my main question here is: I guess should they select him or not? I'm leaning towards yes. Uh, I guess I have a question for for the room. Mm. Uh, as a suspended player, what are your rules around how you're allowed to train with the team? I think I don't think there's any um, any restrictions. You, any restrictions because on training? Because what are those three games that they're going to play to kick it off? Uh, Lebanon and um, Micronesia. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't, sorry, I can't remember the three teams. Those are training games to mm. all intents and purposes. Lebanon probably would be the toughest of the three. Yeah. Um, it, you know, so I think it's probably worth still taking him and losing him for those. So that obviously that implies take the guilty plea, take the three games, miss those that are essentially glorified training games. Yeah, well, that's actually a really good point. I hadn't I hadn't considered that, Graham. Um, I mean, rugby league seems to just make up rules as it goes. Where are you on this one? <laughs> oh, I think it comes across as uh, amateur. Hour. I think you should serve your ban in the competition where you receive it. Um, yeah, in the um, in the way the football goes, so he should be banned for the first three games of the NRL next year, well, which may even include a warm up game or something. But to have him banned for playing for a totally different team in a totally different competition for something he's done in the NRL just just seems really weird. And, and my, I mean, I don't think rugby unions any better either because remember when um, Sonny Bill Williams got that red card against the Lions, mm. he. So one of his games where he was suspended and one of those gamers three halves that they sort of made up on the fly. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty strange too. It was. I mean, rugby is, when you get a ban in rugby, you get a ban from all rugby for however many weeks it is, and they're up front yeah. about that. But you're right, rugby league, particularly Australian rugby league, the ARL who decide these things, always manage to seem to find a an Englishman or a Kiwi, depending on who they're playing, who can take a skate and miss some games against the mm-hmm. Kangaroos, don't they? I think the... Yeah, and I think there often is a conspiracy theory about that, but um, but they do it so often and so regularly, it's quite easy to feed that theory. 
I just think if the ban happens, the ban needs to happen right away. I'm okay with it uh, crossing different competitions if it's the same sport. Uh, just uh, if the ban happens at any stage, uh, the ban happens now. So the Taylor May one is just bonkers. Mm. I'm not necessarily sure whether it should have, in the first instance, attracted a playing suspension as, as well as how the courts had handled it. Maybe, maybe not. But if you did, you do it straight away. Yeah, I mean, that was a weird one. I mean, talk about Karmic. Uh, gets yellow carded in the first 10 minutes of his of the game he's allowed to play and then tears a hamstring, is probably out, going to miss the grand final, you would think. Um, Taylor May, that's, that's the way that has happened. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, to Karma, um, definitely. But the, I, the other way to do it, of course, is you put a premium on a World Cup or a playoff game. Mm-hmm. You know, one match suspension uh, counts for two if it's playoffs or or, or a World Cup. Yeah, that's, that's another way to look at it. I also think, too, Graham. I mean, I... I, I'm on your side with that argument about if it happened in the NRL, the ban happens in the NRL. But if it's a violence thing or a really bad like head high tackle or a, a punch up that does severe damage to somebody, like maybe uh, the one on Lance O'Hire in that Challenge Cup final, then I think there's an argument that it just should be all, all of that sport, isn't there? But then it gets so subjective, mm. and again, you're just um, um, opening the doors for all sorts of theories to fly around. And yeah, as, as you say, if the person committing the offence is a New Zealander or, or an Englishman, then um, we'll kind of look sideways at, um, uh, at what the, the NRL decides to do. Now, gentlemen, we have a, uh, f- a couple of football internationals coming up for the All Whites uh, against the Socceroos, which is uh, being few and far between of late. Uh, looking forward to this, uh, one in Brisbane and then one at Eden Park as well. In a couple of weeks' time, uh, that should be celebrated. But I tell you, there's a big question mark over Danny Hayes' future. His contract runs out in October with New Zealand football, and he's reportedly frustrated over a lack of action in November. Uh, the way this works is all the leagues are suspended basically from about November the 10th to allow a 10-day, two-week lead into the World Cup, you would imagine in that time there are opportunities for the All-Whites to be playing games against teams going to the World Cup. Uh, Ruben, where are you on this one? Uh, from a New Zealand football point of view, given we haven't qualified, should they be putting any stock in these games? Or uh, Yeah. Uh, I mean, is this about continuity following the Aussie games? First of all, I think, you know, every... New Zealand football coach, every always coach has been frustrated about, you know, no friendlies at this time of year, no, you know, uh, and, and we haven't been able to get fixtures. This is not a unique problem that Danny Hay has pointed out. The last couple of coaches have also had these international windows where we've played stupid games against clubs or just not at all. So, you know, I don't think Danny Hay is unique in that situation. I just think... <sighs> For a country like New Zealand, and maybe for most countries that aren't, you know, superpowers, at least, you know, international football is broken. You know, like the All Whites, particularly in a stupid confederation that means nothing, they play a handful of meaningful games each year, which are ridiculously easy, and then one other meaningful game every four years, which is extremely hard, Mm. or at least a 50-50 lottery. So uh, I just, the World Cup for a country like New Zealand and so many other countries should not be the be-all and end-all of of, of football, because all you're left with now is those meaningful games or scrambling around to get some friendlies together, which is, you know, a haphazard hazard, you rely on invitations, you rely on the goodwill context. That's not how an international program should work for a, for a, a develop, 
a developed football program like New Zealand. You want New Zealand to play more meaningful games and try and make the quarterfinals of the Asia Cup or something like that. We're never going to win the World Cup, obviously, even if we have the best team ever. But we might make it into the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the Asian Cup one time, or even if we're really good, you know, you, you, you might really make a run at a tournament like that. And that's where I think it's just broken as far as New Zealand's concerned internationally. Yeah, I, I think this, uh, Ruben's made some good points there, Graham. Yeah, I think there are a few things at play here. I mean, I, I certainly think that the Oceania Confederation needs to merge with Asia. Um, and even even if it means that Asia split into two or something like that, and then we would get meaningful games on a regular basis. But I just wonder with this story here, is there more to the meets the eye? This sort of seems to be, I don't know, I, you sort of wonder how much longer Danny Hayes going to be in this job. It kind of comes across a bit of a part-time job anyway because of the issues that we've been talking about. And uh, yeah, I sort of wonder how much um, how much longer he will stay in that role for. Mm. I guess to, to me, it just feels like what is that job apart from preparing for one game? Every Everything else years. was practice, and then you got one game. So it wouldn't have a heck of a lot of job satisfaction. You do one thing the whole time. It's, it's I don't know. It's like a version of the hundred meter sprint. All you got, you got a ten second event. Go, boom, done. Yeah. You know, it all comes down to funding at the end of the day, right? So if you're under 17 and under 20s teams, make World Cups, FIFA give you money. Mm. How's it easy? Are you better off being in Oceania to achieve that or in Asia to achieve that? And I, th- and I think, you know, it's, that's why it, it is such a difficult decision for New Zealand football. Um, and also there's the whole power game too with Oceania. It is, it is another block of votes. So, it, it's, I mean, Graham, it's... It's, it's 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 very. I mean, you can see it from both sides as to why a New Zealand yeah. might want to stay in it because it gives us funding from FIFA, or or why we don't. And of course, the qualification is about to change for the World Cup, so mm. we will most likely get into every World Cup for the foreseeable future as well. But that's still going to be based on a stupid batch of games that we are 99% certain to win and then we'll go to the World Cup and get knocked out of the group stage and then four years later we'll play three meaningful games of the World Cup and we'll get knocked out of the group stage after we just thrashed Oceania it's just and then we'll play yeah. some stupid friendlies and all and get angst and annoyed when we don't sign up enough friendlies blah 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 and it continues it's really frustrating international football <laughs> Graham, if you were running New Zealand football what would you be doing? What's that? If you were running New Zealand football and had the ability to make the call, what would you be doing? I probably would try to get rid of Oceania um, as a confederation. I mean, I get Ruben's points, and, you know, obviously it means that our youth teams um, and the football ferns get really um, easy qualification routes to the World Cups. Um, but are players really developed at a junior World Cup, or are they developed by overseas clubs? And I think it's more of the latter, really. Mm. So, I mean, I know it does mean that they get on the international stage, and that's how Sabit Singh got picked up, because he had a good um, age group World Cup. But that kind of seems to be the exception more than the rule. So I, I think I would look to... Um, um, to split away, or you know, try to persuade the other countries, which of course would be a challenge in itself. Yeah, I mean, it's Fiji. You know, there'd be no benefit for Fiji um, to join up in the Asian Confederation. So you'd have to convince the others. Um, Tahiti, for example, have been given about sort of ten artificial turfs by FIFA recently. So, so they're doing pretty pretty well out of that arrangement. Um, so yeah, you'd, you'd have a bit of trouble in persuading the others. Yeah, I think uh, that is. 
and that is, it encompasses why footballers, <laughs> while it's the global game, there's so much pol- political pull here, there, and everywhere. I suppose we could unilaterally decide to join Asia in the way that Australia did. Um, and where would that leave Oceania as a confederation? But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's probably, you know, what need, I don't think Oceania would survive without us. Yeah, and I mean, that's the way, that's probably the way forward. I mean, I remember, Graham, you'll remember this, Ruben, you'll probably remember it as well, when uh, New Zealand, basically, if you qualified out of Oceania, that was like qualifying out of a subgroup of Asia, and then you went into the main playoff groups for Asia, and I think that's potentially a way forward That was how 82 well. worked, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah effectively. Yeah, that is how 82 worked, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff, gentlemen. Thank you for joining the panel today. Go well. Uh, great to have your thoughts and talk those subjects. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.